Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, one of the effects of California's more frequent and intense wildfires has been the inability of homeowners in fire-prone areas to afford or even keep their insurance. After years of catastrophe, insurance companies have seen profits wiped out and are refusing to renew policies. And replacement coverage can cost many times more than an original policy. We look at the growing crisis facing lawmakers, the industry, and consumers as California enters wildfire season amid drought and historic heat waves. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A growing number of Californians who live in fire-prone areas are finding it harder to keep or afford their homeowner's insurance. Premiums and non-renewal rates have spiked since 2015, as insurers feel the sting of payouts from damages caused by the state's more intense and destructive fires. We look at how the industry, consumer advocates, and lawmakers are trying to address the problem. Joining me first is Miranda Green, a Los Angeles-based freelance journalist who covers climate change. Miranda Green, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Can you start by giving us a sense of what it's been like for homeowners who live in these high uh, hazard zones, these fire prone areas when it comes to getting or keeping their insurance? Sure, of course. You know, as we move into the heat of the summer, fire season is on the top of everyone's mind right now. But as fires have increasingly become an annual occurrence here in California, insurers are looking to raise premiums or back out entirely, which is something that California residents are seeing, especially those who live in areas that have been hit by fires in the past few years, which is really teeing up a question for a lot of these homeowners of whether they should be responsible for the costs of climate change. 
Yes, I live in Napa, actually, and I saw that alarming stat that between 2015 and 2019, more than 17,000 homeowners in Napa and Sonoma lost their coverage. That was from the state. And I'm hearing people saying that if they have their coverage, they're paying like 70% more than they did a few years ago. Yes, people are seeing their rates dramatically increase. uh, But the issue here is that uh, insurance companies actually would like to see those rates increase even more. Uh, California is really strict and very controlled in the way that the insurance companies can adjust premiums, which is something that consumer advocates have really been pro in the past couple of years. Historically in the state, uh, residents, um, their insurance rates are determined by historic rates, which means that insurance companies can really only determine premiums based on past instances, so past wildfires, how much it is cost to rebuild and future um, future disasters. So really sets the stage where insurance companies have to open their books and say, we have determined this rate for you based on X, Y, and Z. Uh, but what's happening now is as we see these wildfires continuing to occur, um, it's become almost an annual occurrence here in California these days. Insurance companies are saying, this is no longer a good bet for us. We now know that wildfires are going to continue to incur, especially in areas that are hot in fire zones and prone to fires. And so we want to raise the rates significantly in order to make it worth our while. And what they want to do is they want to be able to look at future disaster models. Essentially, they want to be able to calculate climate change into people's insurance premiums. And that would raise the prices dramatically from what people in California are seeing today. Mm, And as you say, setting the stage for a pretty contentious conversation. But do give us a sense of what kind of losses the insurance industry has experienced, especially in the last few years. I mean, it's like tens of billions of dollars as far as I've seen. That is true. Actually, the insurance company, and that is the claim that they're making here, which is that, you know, insurance is for profit. Um, you know, they are they are doing this as a business. And just between the years of 2017 and 2018, the insurance industry in California lost $20 billion um, on, in payouts. And that was double the amount that they have made in the state of California from since 1991. And so insurers are saying, you know, if we cannot raise our rates dramatically, and in California, um, in order to raise the rates from you know seven percent higher than seven percent annually, they have to get signed off by the insurance commissioner. I um, mean, they're saying if we cannot raise our ma- our rates more dramatically than that, we are just going to pull out completely. We're not going to continue to cover because it's it's a loss for us. It's not worth the bargain. And insurance companies they have their own insurance, uh, so reinsurance rates are also spiking, especially as um, you know reinsurers who oftentimes are national companies or even international companies are hearing California is a tinderbox. California is known for fires. Uh, this is no longer a good bet for us. We are pro- probably not going to make money. And so as those rates are increasing, insurers are saying, they're, they're looking at the California landscape and saying it's going to be really hard to make money in these areas. So mm. unless the government will allow us to increase the premiums we'd like to charge customers, it's not worth it for us to, to insure them. Well, what we were talking about earlier about the experience of homeowners where they're having their uh, they're they're being dropped um, or not renewed or not insured at all. I mean, that is widespread. I mentioned Napa, but we're yep. hearing about this in Santa Barbara and Ventura and so many other places that have recently been ravaged 
by wildfire and just all over the state. And of course, right now there are several wildfires burning at this moment as we speak. But I, I do want to ask you, what is the effect of an inability to access affordable insurance for people? I mean, at the very least, if they lose everything, they could be destitute. But in addition to that, it sounds like it has a real impact on people's ability to even leave if they feel forced to, because it's hard to to sell a home uh, that somebody else will not be able to insure. Sure. I mean, it, it, it impacts people in a multitude of ways. First, if you're stuck with a plot of land that is burned down and you can't get insurance, you know, insurance has maybe paid you out, but you can't get new insurance for that home you'd like to build on that property. Um, it makes it impossible for many people to get mm. loans. Mm. Many mm. mortgages and loans, uh, you know, mandate that people must have fire insurance and must have insurance in order to to qualify. And so if they can't get insurance at appropriate rate, um, they're and or they can't get fire insurance in general, they're not going to be able to build there. But as you mentioned, you know, what do they do when they have that land they can't build on? Who's going to want to come in and buy? And in and in buyers, especially in places like as you mentioned, Santa Barbara County, for example, Ventura County, places that have been impacted not just by wildfires, but also by mudslides and uh flooding, which is another consideration insurers want to take into factor here for disaster insurance. Uh, buyers are thinking, we're not going to be able to get insurance in these areas. We're not going to be able to qualify for loans. Why would we buy these, these parcels of land, especially knowing that disasters have struck here before and they might strike again? Hmm. We're talking with Miranda Green, a Los Angeles-based freelance journalist who covers climate change. And we're talking about how it's getting harder to get insurance in California, fire zones, and the struggles of wildfire survivors. And you, our listeners, if you yourself have had this experience, have had difficulty getting insurance or have recently been dropped by your insurance, let us know. We'd like to hear your story, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. I want to bring two more people into the conversation. Carmen Balber is Executive Director of Consumer Watchdog. Carmen Balber, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Good to be also, here. Also with us is Janet Ruiz, a spokesperson for the Insurance Information Institute, which is a trade group. Janet Ruiz, really appreciate having you on as well. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here today. And let me go to you, Janet, just because we were having that conversation with Miranda about insurance companies pushing to be able to factor in future wildfire risk, which hasn't been the model yet. Why is that so important to insurance companies? It's important to be able to charge the right premium so that you can pay the claims. And Miranda uh, put it very well that in the past five years, we've seen such a spike in losses uh, from major wildfires. Um, in 2017 and 18, the insurance companies paid out $1.70 for every dollar they took in. Uh, now, some of these fires are rolling into the 20-year history that the Department of Insurance looks at. Um, and we know that we're going to have hot, dry summers um, moving forward. So the risk is continuing on and we need to really look at that risk and be able to charge the right amount. The one thing I would say is that many people are seeing expensive insurance because they've had to go to the high risk plan, the California Fair Plan. 
Uh, what we're endeavoring to do now, and there's many uh, insurance companies that have rate filings in, they're working with the Department of Insurance on two things. One is mitigation, home hardening, firewise communities, uh, those type of uh, resources that will make a home less likely to burn. And two is to have the regulated insurance companies be able to charge the right amount of premium. So, so those companies are going to be less expensive than a California fair plan or sometimes the surplus lines insurance policies, which are not regulated by the state of California. So there's a lot of hope in the future to have more insurance available and to have it be uh, less expensive. The California Fair Plan also, you have to buy two policies. You have your fire policy with them, and then you have to buy a wraparound policy for your other perils like theft and liability, et cetera. If you can buy one policy with, a, with an admitted carrier, by the state of California, it's going to be more reasonably priced. Um, so we see a lot of uh, positive growth on the horizon of available yes. insurance. I think I understand you're saying that we need to make sure that more private insurers can be part of this market because the California Fair Plan, which is the state's insurer of last resort, that's basically kind of a bare bones plan that only covers fire damage. Uh, is basically like a high risk pool. So it ends up having people pay very high premiums. Um, and I'm also hearing you say that what it would take to ensure more people in part is if more people mitigate the danger of fire on their properties. Is that right? That's correct. And, and so, there's, yes, um, really good. Um, there will be discounts available. Uh, there's insurers will be able to ensure more properties in wildfire risk areas. Um, so there's, there's a lot of good news on the horizon. We are working very closely as an industry with the Department of Insurance to make this happen. Well, we're coming up on a break at the moment, but we'd love to get into that more with you in terms of trying to figure out how to make insurance more available and more affordable with mitigation measures. We're talking with Janet Ruiz of the Insurance Information Institute. Miranda Green is with us, a Los Angeles-based freelance journalist. Carmen Balber from Consumer Watchdog is also here, and we'll get to her as well after the break. We're talking about why it's getting harder to get insurance in California fire zones, and we want to hear your experience. 866-733-6786 is the number. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the impact of homeowners living in wildfire zones who've been dropped by their insurance or seen their premiums skyrocket and what can be done. First, though, we do want to give you an update on the lava fire in Siskiyou County, which erupted after a lightning strike. It's burned nearly 20,000 acres and is less than 20 percent contained, and thousands of residents are under evacuation orders. In addition, there are evacuations that have been ordered for another wildfire burning north of Redding, and we are keeping an eye on that that as well. With us to talk about the impact of wildfires and the ripple effect in terms of people being able to rebuild or to insure their homes is Miranda Green, a Los Angeles-based freelance journalist who covers climate change, Janet Ruiz, a spokesperson for the Insurance Information Institute, and Carmen Balber, executive director of Consumer Watchdog. And Carmen Balber, I want to go to you. First of all, you have some concerns about allowing insurance companies to be able to factor in future wildfire risk. Uh, as we were hearing just before the break, Janet Ruiz was saying this would help them be able to insure more people and be part of a more competitive market, a more affordable market. What are your worries around that? Well, the first thing to know about that conversation is that not a single insurance company in the state has made a pledge or an enforceable promise that if uh, these catastrophe models, predictions of potential future loss are allowed in rate making, that they will insure a single new California homeowner. So the insurance industry is not willing to guarantee that they will cover Californians um, for their homeowner's insurance if this is allowed. Number two, the other piece that the insurance industry doesn't like to mention is that these catastrophe models are uh, figuring out rates in a black box. Um, we have no idea what insurance companies are doing to shuffle the numbers to come up with the premium that they're going to charge homeowners. And of course, the reason insurance companies want to use these catastrophe models is to raise rates. Um, the beauty of California's system right now is that the public and the insurance commissioner critically has to be able to see every element that goes into a rate. So insurance companies have to open the books and justify everything they charge. With these private catastrophe models, the information goes into a black box and algorithms spits out a number and nobody can verify whether or not that number is real. No one in the insurance industry is talking about a catastrophe model that would be done in a fully public and transparent way. And until they do that, we can't trust that the rates that come out of that black box will be fair. The earthquake insurance market is allowed to factor in future risk. How has that played out, Carmen Balmer? That's played out. I mean, as we all know, earthquake is a very rare event, um, and we don't uh, have to uh, dip into that coverage very frequently. And so the catastrophe uh, model use in the earthquake world is very limited. Hmm. Janet Ruiz, just reacting to what Carmen Balmer is saying, is the industry willing to pledge that if they are given the opportunity to factor in future risk, that they would, in fact, insure people and insure more people and be very transparent about how they go about determining rates? The insurance industry is working really closely with the Department of Insurance, and they are allowed to look at these models. Uh, they are studying what the models um, predict and how they work. Um, so that really is a factor, and we are really willing to pledge that um, allowing mitigation uh, to be a part of the process 
will allow us to insure more properties. Hmm. So it's to our best interest to insure more properties, not less in the state of California. So you haven't done this yet, then it sounds like the industry hasn't done this yet in terms of offering discounts for people who have yes, done we mitigation. Actually have. You have. And uh, so but each company has to file and work with the Department of Insurance. So a few companies have. Um, I usually don't name names, but you can it's public knowledge that USAA has a Firewise uh, community discount, and uh, Mercury Insurance has several discounts for mitigation. There may be more, uh, but a lot of companies have these filings in with the Department of Insurance and are merely waiting for them to be approved. So this is something that's on the horizon in the next year. Hmm. So it's about trying to do this on a bigger scale then. The, um, the modeling has always been a part of insurance. Um, this isn't new, uh, but what we would like to do is be able to have it considered in the rate making process, similarly to earthquake. And again, the Department of Insurance has access to the modeling and they are the ones that determine the regulations and approve rates. So it isn't uh, something that's completely unknown. Can you explain then why basically the the bill that the insurance commissioner um, put forward, Assembly Bill 2367, which would have required insurers to renew policies for homeowners that met state standards for home hardening, why there was so much opposition from insurers to that? It died in committee, essentially. There, there were many factors. The bill was a little bit rough, but what's happened now is the insurers have taken it upon themselves to put together uh, their appetite for risk and the types of home hardening and measures uh, that they feel like will really be wildfire resistant. Mm. Um, that science has become much more uh, defined over the last few years than it was say five years ago. So as science has told us what will keep a home from burning, uh, that has given insurance companies a much better place to uh, work from. We also have uh, building code 7A in California, which is the wildfire building code. And as people apply that code to their homes, as they do the home hardening measures, clearing space. Uh, we have Fire Safe Council has great information out there. Firewise USA has great information. So we've been able to adapt a lot of that. And we're seeing less homes burn in a lot of these fires. Um, you know, it, it's proving itself to work. Well, you know, if I could jump in on that. Uh, uh, sure, Carmen Bob, and then I'd like to take a call. I'd love to just uh, really uh, reiterate the point that you just made. The insurance industry is the reason that there isn't a law existing today that mandates homeowners who mitigate their homes for wildfire get coverage and get mitigation discounts. The insurance industry lined up its lobbyists in Sacramento to block legislation, the, leg the bill that you uh, mentioned, that would have required discounts for these uh, for these mitigation efforts. And most Californians who are living in wildfire zones right now know 
that they're not offered mitigation discounts, even if they spend tens of thousands of dollars upgrading their home, clearing brush, doing everything right to make sure that their home doesn't burn down in a fire. Mm. Now, some companies are out there offering some discounts and a few more are proposing it, but it's critical uh, to understand that the insurance industry has been dragging its feet on this front. And what we need in California is a rule, um, something that's currently being discussed at the Department of Insurance that would mandate mitigation discount for homeowners who take the right steps to harden their home. And until we get the insurance industry to agree and to offer the right discounts, uh, we can't trust the rest of what they're saying. And again, Carmen Balber is executive director of Consumer Watchdog. Uh, let me go to a caller, James, in Nevada City. Hi, James. Thanks for calling. Hi. I've been up here 20 years, and like you mentioned, I've spent tens of thousands of dollars creating a, a fire-resistant uh, acreage and house and barn, concrete siding, the trees. There's not a tree within 100 feet of me. I have 60-gallon-a-minute well with sprinklers all over the place and everything. No one will give me a risk assessment, just like you're talking about. When I, the insurance company is like a bunch of used car salesmen. They will lie, lie, lie. You're going to have to drag them into whatever legislation we need to get an individual risk assessment for each property and to get an appropriate discount. I can't find any, anything resembling that from anybody. I can have Lloyd's insure me for 12000 a year but I'm unwilling to go there. So don't trust the insurance industry an inch. They're absolutely going to do everything they can to keep you from getting insured in any area they have any qualms about insuring. They're going to resist individual risk assessment. They're going to lie out of every side of their mouth. I'm so sick of this industry. And something needs to be done very seriously that's going to force these people to give us individual risk assessment based on how we have hardened our homes and properties for fire. Well, this James, is absolutely I, ridiculous. That's I really hear your frustration. Rant. And I want to, to put some of that to Janet Ruiz. Janet Ruiz, your reaction to what James is saying, just in the difficulty of even starting the process with a risk assessment and so on. I think times are changing. Uh, we have better methods to get risk assessments, um, including technology. So, you know, a lot of things have changed over the last few years. Um, now we can use drones. We can use more satellite imagery to find out. Um, you know, James has done an amazing job on his property, I can tell, but not everybody does. And so we have to be able to verify that to know that a home is going to be wildfire resistant. We're getting there. Uh, we're getting these things approved as we speak with the Department of Insurance. So I think you're going to see a lot of change in the next year or two. And I think it's going to be very positive um, as insurance companies who are regulated by the Department of Insurance can charge the appropriate rates which, as I said, are going to be less expensive than surplus lines, which uh, James mentioned his carrier, or the California Fair Plan. Um, it's going to level out. We're going to see a lot more insurance available, and we're going to see mitigation recognized like what James has done. Hmm. We now know many of the things that really do keep a home from burning, 
Uh, some of them are as simple as having the right type of vents to keep embers from going into a home during a wildfire. Uh, the right type of roof, the right type of siding, the clearing of land. Uh, James is a poster for what should be done. And in the next year or two, you will see insurance available for customers like James at a more reasonable rate. Let me go to Kirk in Napa. Hi, Kirk. Hi, good morning. All right, what would you like to say? Uh, I, I just wanted to elaborate a little bit on what James was speaking about. Um, there is a, a three-legged solution to this, and it involves uh, the homeowner and community, and the insurance industry, and the state in trying to figure this out. Um, my wife and I lost our house in a glass fire after having lost our fire insurance in 2017. Mm. We subsequently found the uh, used California Fair Plan. A policy is only going to be as good as your broker and your knowledge, and these fire policies are quite complex, and it's imperative that we educate ourselves on how to uh, write a fire policy for your own personal house. Uh, the other issue is... Um, Living in a neighborhood, you're, uh, when there's a firestorm, uh, the fire resistance of your location is only going to be as good as the entire community around you. Hmm. Uh, we did a lot of fire hardening on our property, which was two and a quarter acres. But uh, the size of the area in the Napa Valley, the rural area, is such that a 100-foot clearance around your house is not sufficient. And there needs to be a community effort in order to clear larger swaths of land for fire uh, to prevent fire storms, which I think is really has been the issue since 2015. You raised some really interesting and important points, um, but also Janet Ruiz Kirk's uh, comment is reminding me of what I heard a lot from people who lost homes. And Kirk, I'm very sorry that you lost your home. Um, that they they found themselves underinsured uh, when they were attempting to figure out whether they could rebuild. Can you talk about why that happened so much? Yes, um, it's really important. And, and he made such great points that you really do have to think about insurance. You know, we used to not do that. You bought a house, you got a mortgage, the, you know, somebody insured you and that's as much as you thought about it. Um, but when we have these total losses from wildfires, you need to have the right amount of insurance coverage to rebuild the house. And the building costs have gone up substantially in the last five years, not just in California, but all over the country. There's a labor shortage, there's material shortages, uh, they're much more expensive. Um, so you really do have to check in with a local builder and, you know, if you're in Napa, you have to check in and say, hey, what's the going square footage? You know, what's the gro growing amount per square foot? And um, then you have to look at your property, your particular, what do I have in my house? Is it um, expensive countertops and fixtures or is it more standard? And these are the things you have to take into account um, in order to have the right amount of insurance so that if you have a total loss, you can rebuild. Well, 
One of the other things, Carmen Balber, that Kirk said was that this is a three-legged stool and that there's a role for homeowners to play. This listener writes, is it obvious that a lot that is burned is a higher risk and should be charged more for insurance? This is really important, actually, because we're in a situation in California where a third of the homes in the state are built in the WUI, that, that uh, wild land urban, urban. interface mm-hmm. uh, that you know, so you, you're in Napa, you're so familiar with. Um, if we were to allow the insurance industry, which is essentially the situation we have now, decide where and where they will not cover, eventually the entire WUI is gonna be uninsurable because the insurance industry has chosen not to insure there. So what we need to avoid is turning over the entire conversation about where Californians can and cannot live to the private for-profit insurance industry. This is a challenge uh, that our state and local lawmakers have to take on and have the political courage to make the hard decisions about Hmm. because we can't leave zoning decisions uh, about who can uh, who can live where? And, you know, that comes from insurance companies uh, deciding whether or not to insure someone. That's basically deciding whether or not they can live there because you yeah. need insurance to have a home uh, to the insurance industry. We need lawmakers to step up the, to the plate. And this is a current conversation. Um, but until then, we shouldn't be allowing the insurance industry to wholesale, essentially redline out neighborhoods um, even without considering all of the mitigation that communities and individual homeowners have taken in. Well, Miranda Green, what conversations are happening at the state level? What is the state willing to do, especially in terms of the fact that it has allowed, or at least local officials as well, and allowed local officials to allow more building uh, in fire zones? It's a it's a mixed bag. I think at the end of the day, what everyone wants is to make sure there is insurance available to homeowners. Uh, the biggest concern is that the insurance companies will pull out in these areas and leave people who own land high and dry. Um, As we talked about earlier, California does have a disaster insurance plan called the FAIR plan, but it's really only meant for extreme situations. It's really only meant for people who are, um, you know, need last minute fire damage. It only covers you for fire insurance. It does not cover you uh, for any other insurance. And so, um, you know, lawmakers um, in general, I spoke to a couple um, for my reporting on the story, they, you know, they definitely want to see people who um, they definitely want to see insurance and make sure that their constituents can at least make sure that their homes are covered. Well, we'll have more about this after the break. Miranda Green, Carmen Balber, Janet Ruiz, stay with us as well as listeners. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about a growing crisis in the state's insurance market in terms of covering people who live in fire zones and what the industry, consumer advocates and lawmakers are trying to do. I want to go now to Bob Roper, board chair of the California Fire Safe Council, also a retired Ventura County fire chief and retired Nevada state forester. Bob Roper, glad to have you on. Well, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Just wanted to address a couple of things that came up with in this conversation and with our listeners in terms of home hardening, I mean, first of all, that seems to be one of the avenues that they're saying could be a way to reach some level of common ground and enable more insurance in the state. Can you talk about how far the science has come with regard to how homes can be protected if people take steps? Okay. There's a a great uh, source on the internet. It's called the Institute for Business and Home Safety. It's a nonprofit organization that does a lot of testing on home hardening and understanding how wildland fires contribute to a home loss during a fire. And through that uh, information and research, along with the National, National Institute of Science and Technology, NIST, there is an abundant amount of information that's been qualified as far as home hardening components. But in terms of the amount of home hardening that can really avoid burning down a home, especially with the kinds of intense fires that we're seeing in California, one of our earlier callers was mentioning that you can do you can do this as much as you want, but ultimately for you to really protect your home in a fire, you would need the community around you to do it as well. Bob Roper? Yeah. What everybody has to understand is this, is that uh, the fire safety starts at your home itself. And the caller was right that the more people around you that can provide a contiguous fire-free zone, the better off you will be. And that's the one thing that we try to stress in the Fire Safe Council um, environment that we try to get people to join on to. Do you support the state establishing standards to be able to require insurance companies to um, give discounts? I support the program where the insurance companies are an active partner in this dialogue. Uh, what we try to do is to try to provide a rhyme and reason, a quid pro quo for the homeowner to do something Um what they have to understand is they need to take steps to protect their homes uh, because we've seen now that wildfires have gotten to such size that there can't be an expectation to have a fire truck in every driveway. So things have to be done prior to a fire happening. And just give us the two, you know, most important things that a homeowner can do to try to mitigate fire risk. Well, there's, Two, the number one thing, if people don't do anything to harden their home, they have to maintain their home. That's taking the leaves off the roof, taking the firewood away from the house, taking any combustibles away from the outside of the house where an ember storm can land and ignite the home. Then from there, it depends on the home. There's a lot of different steps that you can do to take and retrofit your home with different home hardening techniques. Well, Bob Roper, appreciate that. Thanks so much for coming on. Okay. Thank you.
Bob Roper, board chair of the California Fire Safe Council. We're also joined by Miranda Green, Los Angeles-based freelance journalist, Carmen Balber, executive director of Consumer Watchdog, Janet Ruiz, a spokesperson for the Insurance Information Institute. Miranda Green, one of the things that I found interesting was there was a UC Berkeley Center for Community Innovation report that basically said that people living in wildfire zones increases the chance of fire igniting. But I also found that it had some very important and interesting recommendations with regard to allowing people to build in fire zones. And I'm wondering if you could just share a couple of those recommendations with us, because I'm curious what le- whether the state is interested in taking these up. Yeah, you know, the study itself found that state and local land use policies and a statewide push to build more housing is increasing the economic and human cost of wildfires because it's pushing more building into high fire risk areas, essentially making the arguments that, you know, the increased um, building codes um, and and the the very strict construction regulations that California has enforced, when people are making decisions on where to build their homes, it has actually become easier to build in fire zones and along fire lines. Um, The authors of the study essentially found that the current policies that we have in place in the state of California is not really doing enough to disincentivize people from building in fire zones. Um, That as we face a housing crisis in the state of California and as um, counties and cities and state, the state itself is pushing that we must build more, um, that instead of infilling in cities where um, infrastructure already exists, more and more people are are adding to that urban sprawl that we see across the state. And that urban sprawl is pushing more into forested high fire areas. And so the authors of the study, you know, recommended that, you know, policy shift and an economic shift needs to take place in order to incentivize builders and homeowners to stay within um, concrete city zones and areas and build more from within instead of on these external areas that are more likely to, uh, to see forest fires and to see urban fires. They also recommended, as my understanding, that cutting off state support for building in fire zones, if local officials allow that to happen, um, as well as just expansion of really tough building standards with regards to roads and things like that in high risk areas as well. Does the state have an appetite to do those kinds of things? It has been something that has been talked about, you know, across the state. I think, you know, the the problem here is that, you know, a lot of state lawmakers don't necessarily want to take responsibility for making those um, those decisions, especially for um, individual cities and individual counties. And then the local counties and local cities don't want to be making those decisions and telling their constituents and the people who live within their their county lines that they can't build on land they own or on land for sale in a land that's privately owned and available that developers can't build there and so mm-hmm. that has been uh, you know definitely an argument um the the recommendations of the study which you know made some very interesting points which is that you know the state itself can disincentivize and almost make it easier for those local officials to make those decisions by saying we are not going to build the infrastructure that you need to build in these areas. We're not going to build the roads. We're not going to, you know, pipe out the water lines. Um, so we're going to make it harder for you to want to be and to be able to capitalize on this construction. Um, and those are conversations that we're seeing a lot, you know, across the state of California. Environmentalists, for example, are very um, anti the idea that we keep on building into these fire zones. And it's costly to the state, um, whether people are paying higher premiums to live there. And kind of you can make the argument that, you know, people buying in these areas are aware of the fact that they're buying into fire zone 
areas. Um, at the end of the day, the state is paying for firefighters. The state is paying to rescue people whose houses burned down that are facing these, these flames coming their way. And the state is often paying for rebuilding along with the insurance companies. And so sure. that is money that is coming out of California's coffer. But I'm also sure they're feeling some pressure from the building industry and even from local officials who rely on revenue from development. So it's 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 as uh, you and Carmen Balber and, and Janet Ruiz have indicated, there is a big and honest conversation that needs to happen right now. Uh, Robert writes, I have just been informed of a 40% rate increase in my fire insurance. I live in an urban area in the flats of Berkeley. We're told that the increase is the result of our zip code, which includes areas of the Berkeley Hills where we do not live. Where can we complain about this practice? Carmen Balber, your reaction to that? Uh, well, if anyone has a complaint about their insurance rates, they can always come to us at consumerwatchdog.org. Uh, we can't always help on individual insurance rates, but occasionally we can and go to the Department of Insurance. Um, but I think the, the homeowner raises a good point um, that uh, what we need from the insurance industry is a commitment to uh, looking at the individual circumstances of a home. And this is the most critical thing when it comes to fire. And although the insurance industry is inching in that direction, and if you work hard, you can find a few insurance companies right now who are giving uh, small discounts for mitigation efforts, et cetera. Um, the industry is currently using a broad brush to sweep whole areas of the state with a uninsurable brush or a, you're a high risk brush, or, you know, this is the, the one and only place we want to, we want to cover and insurance companies have to be required to do a better job than that. Let me go to caller Ilse in Woodland. Am I saying your name right, Ilse? You are. Can you well, hear me okay? Yeah. What would you like to say? Uh, so I live on an 80 acre, small 80 acre farm in the middle of many, many, many large larger farms, I'm surrounded by tomato fields on all sides. The nearest uh, residence is uh, half a mile away. My insurance in 2009, and I have, I have several buildings on my property, so it's not a property that I can just call and get a quote for my house. I have a barn and a couple of shop buildings. They all, by the way, have uh, metal roofs, including my house that has a standing seam roof. In any event, in 2019, my insurance policy was $3,500 a year. In 2020, it went to $4,500 a year. In 2021, it just went to $6,100 a year. I am not anywhere near a fire zone. You can't burn tomato fields. You can't burn row crops. And I have not, I don't know what to do. Interesting. I, I'm stuck. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that, Elsie. Janet Ruiz, are people generally basically absorbing the cost of an inability or the, the losses that the insurance industry has experienced as a result of these wildfires and homeowners insurance? Well, I think what we're looking at in Elsie's case is a commercial insurance. So that's different than homeowners insurance, which is what we've been talking about. Or it's a combination of like a farm ranch type policy. Um, so my suggestion in that case is that you shop and compare, uh, go through an insurance broker to find the right policy for you that um, may give you uh, less premium and the right amount of coverage 
for the buildings, the acreage, etc. Well, certainly we do hear listeners concerned about the overall cost to everyone in the state for building in the uh, wildland urban interface. This listener writes, the conversation should take into account all the costs of allowing housing and wildland urban interface areas and who has been paying those costs so far and what subsidies have already benefited such residents. Often residents in wildland urban interface areas don't recognize that their choice of residence imposes external costs on others, which makes the conversation much more difficult. Again, we're talking with Miranda Green, Los Angeles-based freelance journalist who covers climate change, Carmen Balber, executive director of Consumer Watchdog, Janet Ruiz, a spokesperson for the Insurance Information Institute, which is a trade group. And we're talking about a growing crisis in the state's insurance market with regard to insuring people who live in fire zones as we are just entering another what proves to be very hot and dry summer. And we are very concerned about wildfire season. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And let me go to some more calls. I'll go to Doug in North San Juan. Hi, Doug. Thanks for waiting. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Um, yeah, one thing I would like to see would be the insurance, the insurance companies giving discounts if you do things like uh, does $5,000 in hoses, water storage, and pumps. Uh, so that the, you have a chance to soak your whole property down before you evacuate, or perhaps the fire department can use it right away. And the other thing I think is that if you've got a case like Paradise, where it's been burned totally out, why on earth would they have to pay a fortune for fire insurance now? They should be paying next to nothing. There's nothing left to burn. Uh, Doug, interesting. Uh, Janet Ruiz, what do you think about that? Or is it just based on Janet Ruiz? What do you think about what Doug is saying here about why are premiums so high for people who've already had their homes burned down? Well, you know, that's uh, individual case by case. Um, obviously, everything didn't burn. And, you know, I have been through um, Paradise myself. And there were actually many homes that survived that were um, newer built homes. Uh, so that was a good thing because they were built to better standards, et cetera. Um, I don't know that each person in Paradise is paying high premiums. I think it's a case by case. Depends on who you have your insurance with. Are you building a structure on the property right now? You know, what stage of building are you in? So I don't think we can broad brush this uh, Paradise and uh, answer it in that type of a fashion. Well, similarly, Mar Marissa writes, our experience is that we've done everything we could possibly do to prevent it, preventatively mitigate home loss from wildfire and make our home fire safe. Still, the insurers seem to put us in a red line zone rather than seeing that we have green zones on three sides of our home and very adequate clearing of our grounds. We are being treated as a risk statistic with no mitigation discounts. Janet Reese, you've been talking about case by case, but a lot of our listeners are saying that's not what they're experiencing. You know, a lot of that is due to the um, approval process that we go through uh, with the Department of Insurance. So a lot of those type of mitigation discounts are in the approval process right now. Um, we file what we wanna do as an insurance company with the Department of Insurance, and they go through it with a fine tooth comb. 
Uh, one thing I will say is that the modeling, uh, the technology has gotten so much better. And so we are able to look at properties more singularly. Um, also, we're looking at being able to do risk assessments um, and go out to specific properties and see exactly what you've done. But again, importantly, it's important for the community to also be uh, doing um, mitigation. So programs like fire adapted communities, fire safe councils, uh, Firewise USA certifies yes. communities. Uh, these all help as well. So all these things are being looked at. Uh, we are asking the Department of Insurance, um, many companies to be able to give a discount for people who are doing these type of things, either personally at their own property and or as a community. Carmen so Balber, uh, yes. Be coming into play. Forgive me, Janet Reese. I thought you were done there. Carmen Balber, we're just coming up to the end of the hour. I am curious what uh, compromise would look like with regard to the needs of the insurance industry, which has experienced a lot of losses and protecting homeowners. Well, I think we've actually heard from most of your callers that rates have gone up substantially. And I think that drives home an important point that insurance companies are getting the rate increases they request. When we have homeowners calling in saying they got a 50 or 100% or 200% rate increase on their homeowner's insurance, that's because the insurance companies have gone in, pleaded their case with the Department of Insurance and gotten the rate increases they need. So I think the, the, the point that we've reached now is the point where insurance companies have to be at the table uh, as far as these mitigation steps go. And I really need to, you know, uh, take issue with how Janet has portrayed that circumstance. It's not the Department of Insurance that is delaying insurance companies' ability to offer these mitigations. It's the insurance company uh, who have thus far refused uh, to step up to the plate and offer those discounts. It's improving, uh, but we need to do more. It's improving. I guess we can try to leave that there. No matter what, California's experience is being closely watched by the rest of the country, because whether it be wildfires, floods, or, or hurricanes, the rest of the nation is also feeling these shocks of climate change and wondering how to make the appropriate adjustments and who should be responsible and by how much. Thank you so much, Carmen Balber, Janet Ruiz, Miranda Green, for joining us today. I also want to thank Tina Lauerberg for producing today's segment. And thanks to our listeners for sharing their experiences. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.